أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه واهتدى بهداه إلى يوم الدين This is the fifth session in da'wah in Palm's Green The third category of the people who are required to do da'wah That's people in positions We mean by people in positions Anyone who has a responsibility Anyone who has, a, who has an office Whether it's like a public office in a government or even something as simple as working in any uh, in any organization in in hospital in in education sector in you're an engineer anything any job that you makes you deal with the people with the public then you should remember that this could be your way of serving people and giving them a good example remember that yusuf alayhi salam as a prophet, did his da'wah at different levels in different stages of his life with the wife of Al-Aziz inside the prison and his da'wah was completely more, was, was in a different way or at a different level, influential when he was the financial minister of Egypt because definitely many people have embraced Islam when they saw Yusuf salam on the top of the public positions in Egypt so your job here is to serve people and show them the best of examples. Remember Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq how his position in Quraysh as a trader or Uthman ibn Affan or Jarir ibn Abdullah al-Bajali who was a leader of his own people, how their positions have enabled them to serve and to help and to assist. These individuals we call them in Arabic wujaha, plural of the word wajih. Al-wajih comes from the word waj, face. They are like the faces of a community. So some wujaha, some people of wujaha, status in the society, because they spend money and, and they open their homes for people to eat and they go around and settle fights between people. And they do some kind of work in the society. This is their way of da'wah. This gives a good example to, to others. So their da'wah, da'wah of those individuals is the way of showing gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the position that he posted you, posted you in. In the hadith, إِنَّ لِلَّهِ عِبَادًا اِخْتَصَّهُمْ بِقَضَاءِ حَوَائِجِ النَّاسِ There are servants of Allah whom Allah has blessed by putting them in positions to fulfill people's needs. Allah put them in, you, in, in this position to fulfill someone else's needs. يُقِرُّهُمْ فِيهَا مَا بَذَلُوهَا Allah will keep you in that position. Allah will continue to bless you in that position as long as you serve people through that job. فَإِذَا مَنَعُوهَا If you stop that, Allah will take this post from you and give it to somebody else who can do better service. Allah puts you in a position and then you have a job. You're not there only for yourself. You are there for somebody else. Sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends you to a direction to serve someone and then after that you, your job is terminated just for, for that service. And Imam al-Junaid said, he who opens for himself one gate of good intention, Allah will open for him or her 70 gates towards success. So being in that position, you open your, for yourself gates for good intentions. If Allah places me in this position, I will serve my... <coughs> My, my, my customers or people who I deal with and then also lay people 
their da'wah is their way of being part of the ummah of goodness. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلْتَكُمْ مِنْكُمْ أُمَّةٌ يَدْعُونَ إِلَى الْخَيْرِ Let there be a community who call people for goodness. So being part of this community that calls people for goodness is by doing what a community of goodness would do. Teaching our families. You are a, a lay person. You are not someone who can serve in a position. You are not a student of knowledge. You are not a, a teacher. You are not a scholar. But you have a responsibility in your family. Giving your children and giving your wife and giving your family time. Focusing with them. Talking to them. We were, uh, I was giving a lecture last Tuesday in Birmingham. And uh, the people who organized it, they, they wanted me to talk about how can you keep your husband or your wife inside Islam. And you know, I don't like topics of that type. But I said, this is a good opportunity to say something to some people. So I said, look, we have a problem of dialogue within our families. Big problem of dialogue between husbands and wives and children. You go into the house and everyone is on their phone. No one talks to anyone. So there is no dialogue. And when we engage in a dialogue, it's an opportunity for some to dictate their demands. Or to voice their criticism. Or to put down other people. <laughs> We're talking about members of the same family. So one of the sisters there, before the, 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 the talk started, she gave her son the phone to record the lecture. And I said, hold on, whose phone is that? He said, my mom. Said, no, 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 specifically you. No, you're not allowed to record this. She said, it's for my husband. I said, that's why I'm not allowing you to record it. <laughs> it's because I know what are you going to do with this. You record this, you go to your husband and you say, hey, look, the sheikh is talking about you. <laughs> Because I know that specific sister. Her and her husband were our Christmas students. And all the time she's like... Her husband is a very good man. Possibly he's too much dedicated to his work. So he's been successful in his profession. And she ended up after some time seeing that the children might go into the wrong track. She decided to roll up her sleeves and to save the children. So she started taking a lot of courses with places like Al-Maghrib and Al-Kawthar and all of these like very Salafi. And Alhamdulillah, she has helped the children move towards the deen, which is good. But obviously the children, when they moved towards the deen, they didn't become Al-Maghrib and Al-Kawthar. They became something else. <laughs> so now they are arguing with their own mother. But the mother is very strong. Very, very strong. What has contributed to that as well is she has only boys. And I have a view that some people might disagree with. That when a mother has only boys, she becomes very rough. Like when a, a woman only has boys, not girls, she becomes very rough. It is her nature. She has to deal in a, with boys in a strong way. She becomes like that. Who will become the victim of that? Either the husband or the future daughters-in-law. <laughs> so I always keep telling her, auntie, be patient and kind to your daughter-in-law. Why? Is there any complaints about me? I said, you don't have to. They don't have to complain about you. I know. Anyone told you something? My husband told you something? No, no one has to tell me anything. So now she has an argument with her son and her daughter-in-law 
because they want to homeschool their daughter who is only two years old. So she's like, they're planning to homeschool her. And the mother-in-law doesn't want this homeschooling. She doesn't believe in that. So she came to me after the, 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 the talk, obviously complaining that I refused to accept her recording. And she said, what are you seriously talking to me? Like to, uh, telling me this? I said, no, 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 I'm just joking. Anyway, and then she said, I want a stamp from you. I said, why? Stamp for what? I want a fatwa. You want, I want you to give me a stamp to go back. I said, I can't give you any stamps. She said, no, 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 not about my husband. I said, he doesn't need a stamp. <laughs> He's already submissive. She said, for my son and his wife, they want to homeschool their daughter. And I said, no, so you have to give me a stamp to say that I'm right. <laughs> Saying that she is right, that they have to send the children to school. There is a big problem with public schools in Birmingham. They are far worse than London. It doesn't mean that London is good, it's, it's worse. It's just like the, between what is bad and what's worse. Uh, so I said to her, look, the point of homeschooling is, does the mother of the daughter agree with it or not? If she's happy with it, because it, it will be the responsibility of the mother mainly. If the sister is happy with it, they, have to, they can homeschool. And that's not your business. No, but we have always been going to school. I said, school at your time is different from school now. So anyway, we had a conversation and she left. The point that I'm making here is there is no dialogue between the families. When we look into the dialogue that we have or the conversations that we have, it is always about criticism. It is always about picking up on people. And one of the points that I raised there is, please, for a constructive dialogue in the family, you have to seek knowledge. Because when one of the parties, one of the two partners start seeking knowledge, they go home and they become the mufti of the house. She attends a talk or course or something small and they, she goes home and she starts teaching her husband as, as if he is a five-year-old child or even less how to conduct himself with the basic ibadat. Like wudu and salat. All of this is wrong. You know, all of these things that you, you're doing is wrong. See, that's problematic because your knowledge is that limited so you become like crit critical. You start criticizing people in controversial issues. And if that individual comes to confirm with the, your teacher, your teacher will say, no, you're absolutely fine. So you'll say, where is the problem coming from? The problem is not coming from the teacher. It's coming from your limited knowledge. So we have a responsibility within our families to engage in dialogue, to teach our children, to give them love, to spend time with them, to talk to them. People, uh, you have a responsibility for people working for us, if someone works for you, your colleagues, your neighbors, everyone, as the Prophet said, this beautiful hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari, each and every one of you is a shepherd, is a guardian, and he's responsible for those who are under your guardianship. You are like a shepherd. You have a responsibility to your towards your sheep. A shepherd is responsible for, for the sheep, those who, who are his responsibility. The shepherd's responsibility is not to guide the sheep only, but to choose for them the best of fields and to carry those who are unable to walk and to clean those who cannot clean themselves and to slow down. It's not just a responsibility of leading, but it's a responsibility of protection, to protect them at night and during the day. That's why the Prophet ﷺ, even when some of them urinate, 
the drizzles of urine come upon him. The Prophet ﷺ said, no Prophet has come until he became a shepherd first. ما بعث الله نبيا إلا وكان يرعى الغنم وإن نبيكم كان يرعى الغنم like leading the sheep and looking after the sheep teaches the person patience and bravery and kindness and gentleness and mercy sometimes a shepherd has to fix a broken leg of a, of a little sheep and carry it because it can't actually compete with the rest of the, of the herd a leader is a guardian and responsible for his subjects. A man is a guardian and responsible for his family. A wife is responsible for her husband's house and for the family as well. Even a servant in a house, even someone who is serving in a house, he's responsible for the money. He has a responsibility. Even your children, and this is something that we miss with our kids as well that we don't teach the children our the sense of responsibility that the elder has to be responsible for the younger have to look after them we teach them sometimes must be being a master on someone else so as as much as he sees that the parents command each other he will command his brother or he will command his sister so we should teach what we know after we verify it i learned something and i don't know that if i know it very well then I should avoid teaching it for the time being. But I know that I know something very well, I can teach it. It doesn't have to be fiqh. There is seerah, there are loads of things, stories that we can teach our children. And they would, should do that in a subtle way and in a gentle way. We talk, we'll talk later, inshallah, about the problem of dealing with family and how da'wah with family is very difficult. Because when you guide and you instruct your family, they will always re reject it. Because they see who you are at home. So they see you as a normal person. So they wouldn't be ready to accept things from you. What, what would be the things that stop these four categories from doing their da'wah? If we look at scholars, one scholar might tell you, I don't practice what I know. How can I turn to people? And this is something that, that's quite common as well. You ask yourself, I'll be hypocritical if I go and talk to people. Even well, when you talk to people about something good, it's a practice itself. I remember one of the people engaged in da'wah in Birmingham, Dr. Asim Yusuf, said to me, heard him saying that a few times. He said, I teach not for the sake of people, it's for the sake of myself. So that when I say something to them and I go home, I say, how come that I say this to people and I don't practice it? So it encourages me. It's a practice in itself. And in the worst case scenario, it is better to miss not practicing rather than to miss not practicing and not introducing. It is better to miss one thing rather than to miss both. Sometimes a person says, well, I'm not qualified. And I don't like these people who keep saying if they are students of knowledge. I'm not qualified, I'm not qualified. When will you be qualified then? None of us is qualified. That's the reality. And if you say I'm qualified, it is bad. And if you say I'm not qualified, it's also bad. You just keep doing the good work and continue learning. Each one, we're like big pots that pour in smaller pots. So if you say I'm not qualified, this is what we call fake humbleness, fake humility. 
fake humility is what makes you miss your job, your, your, your responsibility. Fake humility is what makes you miss your responsibility. A good character should always encourage you to do what is good in the society, but it should not stop you from doing that. It's like someone who says, I'm afraid of being, of showing off, so I will not fast. Well, you have to fast. Whether it's show, you have to, then am I going to show off? No, you have to fast and fight your showing off. You have to fast, and at the same time, you have to struggle this feeling of showing off. You, 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 we shouldn't work with this compartmental mind. Someone says, well, this is time of fitna. Let me just focus on awrad and ibadah and personal development. That's not my business. We say to them, look, Imam al-Ghazali says that teaching is better than individual ibadah and awrad. He says because its benefit extends to others. And you save the community. The Prophet وسلم, was a teacher. He taught people. And he said, وسلم, I was sent as a teacher. And then the problem couldn't be in the ibadah or the awrad or individual awrad. It is more or less in organizing your time. It is more or less to do with where do you place things? You might have a, enough time, but because of, your mess, because of your lack of management, your time is gone without achieving anything. I always say to people, doing little things continuously makes you achieve. Sometimes people say, there is no point, there is corruption everywhere. That's not your responsibility either. Your responsibility is to sow the seed and teach people and keep reminding them Sometimes a person says, I have responsibility of family. I need to busy myself earning my living and stuff like that. We say, fine, earn your living, but do da'wah according to what you can. Earn your living, but do da'wah according to what you can. Someone might say, well, I need to uh, keep myself busy with, uh, busying oneself too much with sciences that are of no direct benefit. Like sometimes a person says, I need to keep learning new subjects and new topics, learning new sciences. Well, first of all, that should not stop you from doing da'wah. And secondly, you need to look at your priorities. You need to look at your priorities. In the West, for example, here in the West, what Islamic subject do we need to learn and to what level? This is a question that should be asked. You know, sometimes you find students of knowledge who go abroad and they stay there for like a couple of years or something or seven years and then they say, no, I'm not ready yet. Does it really need 15, 20 years for this person to come back to the community and start doing some da'wah work? No, it doesn't need 15 years and it doesn't need 20 years. Possibly it needs 15 years to make a proper scholar and how many of these do we need in each community? Da'wah can be done by, we need a lot of dua. As for scholars who can do ijtihad and help the community, we don't need that much of them. But we need a lot of people of da'wah who have decent amount of knowledge and they have dedication and inspiration and uh, hard work to focus on the, on the community. Students of knowledge. Students of knowledge might say, 
one of them might say I need to complete and perfect my knowledge first and this is also a, a fake excuse because what happens is a person says I need to perfect my knowledge you will never perfect your knowledge you will never say that you have achieved enough no one can say they have achieved enough you have also to look at your intentions of seeking knowledge what's your intention that's to benefit people so if you can benefit people now even with something small then go and benefit them you need to understand that one of the ways of establishing what you have learned in you is to teach it sometimes a person says if i if i'm asked and people realize that i can't answer uh, they will look down upon me fine check your intention who knows everything who should be arrogant that he do, he says well i know everything we should have the bravery to come back and say i was mistaken in this and this is the right answer i was mistaken in my understanding and here is the understanding that i believe is the correct one and sometimes a person might say if i make a mistake allah will punish me severely first you need to understand that the, the big difference between da'wah and fatwa we were talking earlier about this that not every imam in a community is a mufti there is a huge difference between both the imam who gives the khutbah and he gives some uh, some kind of khatira or reminder after salah or be, between taraweeh a talk here and a talk there that imam is not necessarily someone who is well versed in fiqh or well versed in other sciences even if he studied it you need to understand a focal point in knowledge that knowledge is alive only when you continually study <coughs> knowledge is alive only when you continually study you might find an imam who has studied fiqh 20 years ago but ever since he has not opened the book of fiqh why he's busy doing other things he's busy sometimes like he's busy serving the community when you are an imam in a community you might be busy serving the community answering this question doing this and most of the questions which are kind of like simple they keep you away from delving deep into knowledge so knowledge will be very superficial very very superficial so you need to differentiate between da'wah and fatwa da'wah does not need from you to be well versed in all islamic sciences but fatwa is a different thing and also when it comes to what you you've been asked questions you should say what you know and what you don't know you can say i'm going to check and come back to you sometimes for people in position they might say that their job is to fulfill the responsibilities of the post rather than to do da'wah and we say to them look part of your identity in this job is you being a muslim so you have a responsibility as someone who's responsible who's in charge of a job and you have a responsibility also of being a muslim in that in that job so you have two sides of, of of your job two sides of responsibility here sometimes might say i need to make people happy and if i talk about anything that relates to religion or that relates to life people might get upset with me what people will get upset with you anyway so you should decide from now is your main focus the pleasure of people or the pleasure of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes people don't like what you say or possibly it's the way you say it possibly it's the way you say it possibly you approach them in the wrong way or sometimes you say 
or possibly it is your intention. Look into your intention. The way you say it. I remember we were in a gathering once and I noticed that this uncle, this old uncle, he wears a, a golden ring. And that's something that's quite common uh, within some communities. You find someone who's a very nice person and he prays and he's wearing a golden ring. So after some time, I approached the uncle and I said, because you know, gold is prohibited for men, so you're not supposed to be wearing this. And he said, it's a gift from my friend who passed away. And it always reminds me of that friend. And I can't take it off. I said, well, I really appreciate that it's your friend's gift. And I really appreciate that it can remind you of your friend. But things that remind us of our friends or families, we don't have to wear them all the time. We might keep them. You might decide to put it in a box and frame it even and put it in the house. And that would be a good reminder. If you have a photo of your friend, you don't have, and it's a big photo, you might not keep it, be able to keep it in your wallet, but you keep it in your room or something. So if you have a pair of shoes of your friend, you might decide, if you have a watch of your father, you don't have to. So there are loads of things that we might not be able to wear but at the same time, they remind us of our friends. So I suggest that. And he said, no, I will wear it. I said, okay, no problem. That's your choice now. My job was to tell you that as a male, you are not allowed to wear gold. If you have chosen and, and, and left you with no excuse. If your excuse is that you needed this to remind you of your friend, I'm telling you there are loads of ways that you can be reminded of your friend. We need to remember that the role of a teacher or a mufti is to remind us of what is halal and haram and tell us what to do. I'm not a judge. And this is the difference between a judge and a mufti. The mufti tells you what is halal and what's haram. The judge tells you the hukm and forces you to follow it. If you go to the court of law, the judge will say, you have to serve five months in prison. And he makes sure that the executive authority does that, that you are taken and put in prison. If we, have, if we go to a court that deals with Islamic law and there is a case of divorce or there is a case of marriage or a case of anything, if I judge between the husband and the wife, I force the hukm upon them. So I make sure that it is established, it is executed. That's the job of a judge. But the job of the mufti is to tell them, look, you have no access to the law. I have studied the law. This is the hukm, this is the ruling in this issue. You follow this, you are safe. You don't follow this, you are left to your choice. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi This is This is the role of a mufti. And at the end of the day, it is our conscience and our commitment to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah grant us the